with all of my births, except my firstborn, all other six, I would say everything up until transition was also painless. Mm -hmm. Honestly, with the Bradley method, I was able to relax myself and feel extreme power, but not pain with him. I got to the point in transition where I was like, okay, this is the part where I can't relax. I'm going to jump off this bed. It's going to, these contractions are going to literally pull me off of this bed. I cannot lay here and relax anymore. And I think up until him, I convinced myself that was just the only way. And as I was getting that moment of like panic, I said, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to relax. I'm going to make myself relax. Dang it. Mm-hmm. And so I just kept doing the same thing. And It was like self-talk, relax. Welcome to the Happy Home Birth Podcast, your source for positive natural childbirth stories and your community of support, education, and encouragement in all things home birth and motherhood. Once you've had six babies, three of which were at home, you pretty much know everything there is to know about birth, right? Hey there, happy home birthers, and welcome to episode 158 of the Happy Home Birth Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Fusco, and this week we are speaking with Lisa Bass of Farmhouse on Boone to hear all about her most recent birth. Lisa shares some of the new insights she gained during this pregnancy and labor preparation and sheds tons of wisdom throughout her explanation of how she began having home births in the first place. Lisa is a wealth of wisdom when it comes to homemaking and wholesome living, and it is such a joy to have her on today's podcast episode. Now, before we dive into an incredible episode, I wanted to share a quick little tidbit with you. One of my favorite parts of creating Happy Home Birth and Happy Home Birth Academy is receiving messages from you telling me how listening to the podcast changed the way you view birth and changed your birthing experience. Heck, you'll hear how one episode from this podcast completely revolutionized how Lisa approached transition and made a world of difference for her during this birth. It's stories like that that fill me to the brim with happiness for you. And that's from my free Anyone Can Access It podcast. Now, if you're gaining so much from this, I want you to just imagine how prepared and grounded you're going to feel walking into birth after you complete Happy Home Birth Academy. HHA is designed so that once you've joyfully completed its contents, you are going to be feeling both excited and peaceful regarding your upcoming home birth. You'll see yourself as the powerful mother that you already are, and you and your partner will be awaiting the first meeting of your new baby, feeling connected and thoroughly prepared for what's to come, however it unfolds, full of understanding as to how your body and baby will function together and completely rid of the unnecessary fears and what-ifs. You'll be seeing your labor and childbirth as the God-given gift that it is, knowing that you're ready for whatever awe-inspiring scenario awaits you. I can't wait for you to join me. So click the link in the show notes or head to myhappyhomebirth.com forward slash HHA to start your journey with me today. I also want to give a big old thank you to this week's reviewer of the week, Maggie D. 
121345, who wrote, A must listen for all natural birth. Hi, Caitlin. I'm expecting our third baby and planning our very first all-natural birth at a birthing center very close to home. Previous births have been induced and medicated. This podcast has been such an encouragement and inspiration as I prepare mentally and physically for this birth. It has truly changed my mindset when it comes to laboring and birthing our sweet baby. I cannot wait to experience our last redemptive and peaceful birth. Thank you for working so hard to provide mamas with resources and words of wisdom as they embark on this journey. Maggie, thank you so much for your kind words. Providing support, education, and encouragement truly makes my heart swell with joy. If you'll email me at caitlin at myhappyhomebirth.com, I would love to send you a Happy Home Birth podcast sticker. And if you are loving the show, please take a moment to leave a rating and review if you get a chance. When people see your positive feedback, they become interested and willing to listen, even if home birth seems foreign. Thank you all so much for playing your part in spreading the word. Okay, let's hop into our interview with Lisa. Listen close so you can share your favorite takeaway with us on your stories on Instagram, tagging Happy Home Birth Podcast and Farmhouse on Boone. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the Happy Home Birth Podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. If you would take a moment to introduce yourself to the listeners, that would be wonderful. Yeah, so I am Lisa Bass. I have a blog and a YouTube channel called Farmhouse on Boone, and I have seven kids. Uh, five were basically born at home. One of them was in a car, actually, but the other four born at home, two in the hospital. So I have a whole range of experiences in birth. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, I, As I was saying right before we started the interview, I'm really excited to have you on because I learned how to uh, make sourdough through your YouTube videos. So much appreciation nice. to that. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that a lot from a lot of people. <laughs> Thanks to Lisa. So it's really exciting to have you here. And gosh, already seven babies, one in a car. <laughs> Yeah. A number at home. What was the experience like? Did you have your first in the hospital and then like down the road have some at home? Yeah. So I started my first, I did everything completely conventionally. I didn't do any research while I was pregnant. I was 22 while I was pregnant. I had her like a month after I turned 23. And I still at that point just had not questioned anything about anything ever. And her birth was so typical. Like I've heard the same story so many times, I feel like, except for that it did not end in a C-section, but, um, thankfully it was very close. Um, she, I was in labor. I went in at four centimeters and I'd already been having contractions for a long time, but it was my first. So I had no clue what to expect. So I was definitely in labor though, because the day before I had been a zero at my OB appointment and they told me you're definitely going to go way past. You're not going to ever going to labor because I went into my OB appointment for my 40 week. And then she was born at 40 plus two, which now I'm like, that was so early for a first time. Like that was not late at all. <laughs> yeah. So I went in at four centimeters and I'd been zero the day before. So for sure it was labor, gave me Pitocin, broke my water, all the things we ended up with a very rushed emergency delivery, um, with forceps. She had a knot in her cord, a true knot which apparently is sort of rare, but it, it happened to me again, actually at home. So her heart rate was decelerating. And I know now because I had a home birth with a true knot that 
it was not just the knot. It was the epidural, the Pitocin, all the things. And so after her birth, I was very hungry for information. And so I did so much research. I read the, the Bradley method book. I read Ina May. I read every natural birth thing I could get a hold of. And she's 11 now, the second one. So this was before you could just get on the internet and listen to things like the happy home birth podcast. So home birth was still very weird. It was, it was weird enough to want to do a natural birth, but home birth was completely unheard of for me. At least I had, I didn't know anybody doing that 11 years ago. I mean, there were people, obviously lots of people, but the information wasn't as readily available. And so I did a ton of research with her. And then we got to 38 weeks and they tell me that she has intrauterine growth restriction and her she's not growing her, uh, what's the thing they put you on? The non-stress test was showing bad results. So I actually ended up being induced and I was able to still have a non-epidural birth because of all of my training and research. So it was, it was the least touched birth. I feel like it could have possibly been for the way that I still plugged myself into the regular model. So I actually just had Cervidil. I didn't have Pitocin and I had her really fast and no epidural, but after her, I sought out a midwife because I realized that though I did get my natural birth in the hospital, I didn't feel like I could confidently not go get induced because my care provider was telling me it was very unsafe not to. And it's really hard, even if you've done a lot of research to, you know, you, you need your care provider to agree with you. Right. So that's when I sought midwife care and I actually planned to deliver my son, my third born at a birthing center. He was born in the car. And that's when I decided, okay, maybe I shouldn't leave my home to go to a birth <laughs> center because birth centers don't even have any tech. It's literally just a home birth you drive to. So I had the other four at home. It was like a slow, it was hospital birth, everything conventional hospital birth, natural birth center, natural home. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and sometimes it does seem like you got to take the little steps to feel that confidence, but you're right in the sense that if you're having it at a birth center, well, it's really the same. It's really the same as giving birth at home. (laughs) It's just a lot easier if you do it at home, in my opinion. But people will feel more comfortable. Like if you're telling your mom who knows nothing about home birth, you're having a birth center birth. She's like, great. If you tell her about a home birth, you're reckless. So it also (laughs) took, you know, I'm the oldest in my family. I'm the only one I know in my family besides my sister. Now she has, you know, birth center birth and all that, but up till that point that did anything like this. And so it was definitely really uncomfortable for my, for just anybody in my circle. I didn't, I didn't have any friends having babies when I have my 11 year old or my 13 year old, obviously for that matter. So it was, it felt like, you know, I had to like inch out of it, but thankfully I only had one birth that I would consider not at all. I mean, I had an episiotomy and everything. And actually with my seventh, it did tear on the, it never had before but I did actually tear along the episiotomy. So I'm like that 13 years later is still affecting me. And every other child came out so easily. I mean, it, I'm like, oh man, I should have researched. I just didn't know. I had no clue until I had that traumatic experience. It was, they had me signing papers for the C-section. We were supposed to go do the C-section. And I just prayed, like, I do not want this to start because I want to have a lot of kids. If I get locked into the C-section thing now, what am I going to do? Right. So thankfully it did not happen, but it was very close. I'm surprised, honestly. Yeah. Well, gosh, that does, that is frustrating that 
seeing long-term effects from something like that is really annoying. And thank goodness that you have been able to have such a beautiful birth experiences, but ugh, the thorn in your side. Like, I know it's it, a lot. It that, apparently though, for me to, to start think like advocating for myself, doing the research, I really did need, I guess, an experience like that. I don't know. I mean, it's true that birth can wake you up to so many things. I think that yeah, that's yeah. one of the first experiences that we as young women have, you know, in the adult realm sometimes that wakes you up to the fact that, oh my gosh, like I need to take control of what's going on around me. And I really need to consider what is considered normal. And is that appropriate for me? Mm -hmm. um, and it's pretty cool that, you know, you're saying, you know, obviously you had to be the one to go out and take a leap of faith and uh, let everyone know that you're having a birth center birth and then now a home birth. But hey, now everyone in your circle knows about it and they don't have to be the scared one because you already did it for them. So thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and there's so much information now too. There really is. I mean, I know that there was information. There was books when I had my firstborn, but that was the extent of it. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't even honestly know if I had, I don't think I had any social media accounts when she was born, to be honest. I mean, I know it was obviously around. Facebook was around 13 years ago, but where do you even find that information? There right. Boards, there, there wasn't Instagram or anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that's something that I, it's true. It's changed so much. I, my midwife, I remember even a couple of years ago when she was comparing how many inquiries she was getting versus when she started her practice, Yes, you know, yeah. just, just 10 years before it's, yes. it's insane. Yeah. So thank goodness it's growing and it is easier for us to spread the resources and share information, but gosh, yeah, you're right. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, but just a few years ago that that was even very easy to do. Yeah. I think it might've been illegal too with mm -hmm. my oldest in our state. <laughs> Cause with my second, I really wanted to do a home birth already. Like I'd already done enough research that I wanted to, but it, I don't, it, it wasn't that it was illegal with her. I don't think it was that the insurance wouldn't cover it, but time I had my third, it, they did actually. Oh, well, that's so, nice. I was like, it's going to be more expensive to have this child at home. Like that just does not make sense. It's insane. But looking back, it would have been worth it. I'm, right. I'm not kidding. It would have been worth it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it is insane that like really the, the like non-intervention way to do it is you're going to charge me more for that. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I know. That's what I was like. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, well okay. So you, uh, you switch over to home birth. What were, what was that experience like when you, after you had your, uh, car slash birth center birth, uh, were you pretty hooked at that point though? Oh yeah. I was already with my second, just by reading Ina May and, you mm -hmm. know, childbirth without fear and all those books. I was already like, this is definitely this makes the most sense. I've always told people there's really no easy way out of it. That's just the way it is by design. There isn't. And so people are like, well, I'll just have a C-section. Okay. That's not the easy way out by any stretch. I'll have an epidural. Okay. But there's other side effects. So whenever I looked at all the options to me, this was the one that made the most sense, like very practically, not even like, I want to have this beautiful birth experience. It was just like, this one is the one where it seems like the results end up the best with the least recovery time. And so it just, it just made the most sense on a practical level for me. I like that. It's just, it's yeah. practical. <laughs> well, I mean, I listened to your birth story where you got the Christmas jammies. <laughs> I love that one. I told so many people that story. I was like, 
I was listening to this first story. <laughs> so adorable. <laughs> that was your first, right? Yeah. Yeah. That okay. <laughs> was, I still think back and that was just, she just turned five. Like she turned five a week ago today. And I always, that is one of the first things that I think about the night before her birth. I'm like, it was around this time that I was trying to God, wrap our Christmas final present. <laughs> you, I liked how you were like, I was so extra. <laughs> I, I, I bring that up because I feel like I wasn't so excited about it or anything. It was just like, this makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. Whereas it seemed like you were genuinely like very excited to have a home birth. I think with each of mine, I'm like, okay, well, you know, we got to do this. That is because of my first experience, not being the best. I don't know. Right. But I had all wonderful natural births, all six of them. And I still like enter in with a little bit of like, uh-oh, here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've experienced it seven times. So maybe it's just that I'm, you know, I've only got two down. We'll see what happens with if there's no, a number. I mean, they went so well too. I mean, honestly, it was just, I liked your idea of the themed birth. That was great. <laughs> well, I loved that story. So. <laughs> I'm really glad to hear that you got some, some joy out of that. Um, so I would love to hear what was that first home birth like? So my first home birth was my son, Jude. He was my, I was going to say he was my biggest baby, but that's actually not true. He was my second to biggest baby. Um, he had a true knot in his cord, which apparently is rare. Um, so with Jude, I was confident about home birth, but I still wasn't sure about something. So I was GBS positive. And I will tell you that by the time this birth came around, I didn't even test for it at all. But with him, so I've changed my whole thoughts on this a lot. It's very controversial. I'm sure you understand. (laughs) I like controversy. Go for it. (laughs) Well, GBS is one of those moments. So I wasn't confident enough yet to like, and my midwife too, she was a very medical midwife. She was a CNM. And so she recommended antibiotics. And so we did this very weird. We had, I had like one contraction. I had her come over. She gave me antibiotics. Then she left and I used the breast pump to basically induce myself. So Mm. he was born at 41 and two, I believe very quickly. So I used the breast pump. He was born my water broke pretty quick after that. He was born probably total, like, I want to say two hours from that time or something. So I didn't even get the second round of antibiotics. And I remember being worried about that. And now I just think that's very interesting looking at evidence-based stuff, (laughs) but anyways, it was a very great birth. It was very straightforward. I mean, all the, you know, quick contractions and then obviously transitions usually pretty rough for me. And he was, he had my, he had the biggest head circumference, but it was still fine. I didn't tear or anything. It was just, it was a good experience. Yeah. And then the one after that, how did that go? So I call him my second easiest birth next to Theo, which is the one we're focusing on today. Uh, I started having contractions with him around noon. I believe he was born around 7 PM and only really the very regular contractions towards the end. Now he was my first one that I didn't feel like we manipulated it in any way because I actually already had used the birth pump for, or the birth pump, the breast pump for my third birth. Um, as well, because he went so far past his due date. My midwife actually recommended it, which again, looking back, I'm like, okay, he was only 41 and one. What was the deal? But I did. And so this was my first, my fifth baby was my first birth where there was no 
anything, no mm-hmm. Pitocin, no Cervidil, no breast pump, nothing. And so at this point, I guess I didn't even necessarily know when I would go into labor and he was actually born only two days after his due date. Um, yeah. Was, was my, that the same midwife? Okay. Was that the same midwife or? Yes. So I had the same okay. midwife with numbers three, four, and five. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. But he came so much more on time that the question didn't come up about using the breast pump or any kind of midwife cocktail or brew or whatever. She also recommended me to do with one of my kids, but yeah, I had her for three births. Okay. And then, so I guess that would be, that was the last one that you had her with. And then this, the one after yes. that. Okay. So what was I that moved- like? Yeah, it was. So Daniel, my number six, I actually call him my hardest birth. It still wasn't. It's still like listening to some of the stories and like, it still really wasn't, but I was in labor for probably 48 hours Mm. and regular contractions, like 10 minutes apart the whole time. But I think he just wasn't in the right position. Pretty much the entire pregnancy. Every time she like felt around, she always said something was wrong. Either he was facing this way or his hand was by his face. She always had something kind of wrong with his position. And then when I went into labor, it just would not get better. And so I said, okay, this is night two of being up all night with contractions in the morning. I'm calling her regardless, even though I know I'm not really very far, I'm calling her and we're going to do something. I don't know if we're going to break my water. I don't know. We're going to do something. So she got there and we did the mile circuit and he was born ridiculously fast. Like after she got there, I think he was born within an hour or two. And that was when I still wasn't even really sure it was time to call her, but that mile circuit. And so the reason it was harder is because I had to do the last part of labor with my chest on the bed and my butt up in the air. Oh gosh. All the worst parts of labor. I was like, can I get down? And during contraction, she's like, no, you can't get down at all. I'm like, please I'm going to do this thing. So (laughs) So your baby's born with your butt up in the air. (laughs) I, I, yes, it was like, my butt was up in the air and then I just got down to push because it was time to push. Too late. Yeah, yeah you gotta much. do it. <laughs> like, that's yeah. very impressive for you to be able to get through that because that position is not easy, even if it was rough. It was the yeah. roughest thing I remember yet being in transition during that. But I was like, I'm definitely just gonna do what she says because I <laughs> definitely want to not be in labor anymore. anymore. Yeah. That was that the one that you said the episiotomy retour? No, it was actually the one I just had. Oh, gotcha. Okay. But I still, with all of these, I never needed stitches. I only needed stitches on the first two, which were both coincidentally oh, hospital births and my smallest, they were both small. They were both six fifteen and six even. Yes. My IUGR baby induced at 38 weeks was six pounds, which is not that tiny No, <laughs> at 38 weeks. And then my boys, all the, all the five um, home births were boys. They were all between eight, seven and eight, 11. Actually, no, one of them was a little lower than that, but yeah. No stitches on anybody. None, yeah. The big ones. That's yeah, no interesting. Stitches, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that was, that was number six. So we're yeah. here to number seven. Yes. Um, what was this? What was your pregnancy like with this baby? It was very easy. Really? I will say it was probably my most morning sick one. Um, I never was super, I never threw up with any of my pregnancies. With him, I actually did, which was just so weird. Seventh kid. It was the first time I ever threw up. It still wasn't horrible. It was just nausea most of the time for about 14, 15. Actually, I think it went to 16 weeks. That's pretty rough. It's fuzzy. That was bad. Yeah. (laughs) The rest of the pregnancy was really, really easy. Like 
I feel like with other kids, I had certain aches and pains that I just didn't have. I mean, it was, I was not really super uncomfortable. I don't know. It was pretty good. I I mean, I always wonder with moms, I've got several moms that are on baby like seven and eight and they're homeschool moms. I just wonder how you do it when you are dealing with morning sickness. What did just doing your daily chores and taking care of your six kids look like? with morning sickness. Well, you, you do just let a lot of things go. (laughs) You definitely do. I also do have my husband home with me. We both do the blog. So that does help during seasons like that. Mm -hmm. And also I have older kids too. So the, the older kids can do a lot of things. And then you just let certain things go for a short time, knowing that, okay, this is going to, I'm, I'm always better by 14 weeks. It was, it was different that it even took a little bit longer because I'm always completely great by the second trimester. So yeah, you just kind of let a few things go. Let it go. All right. And and then, okay. So you said the second half of the pregnancy was really, really easy. Yeah. I can't think of, there was like no complications whatsoever. We didn't, yeah, we didn't have anything, but my midwives that I had for him, he, this was the first time having these midwives. They didn't do any tests. I mean, like none. (laughs) Was that based off of you or do they just not typically offer them? I think they just don't do it unless it's, unless there's some kind of warning sign. So we do blood pressure and like they check iron, but other than that, we just pretty much, yeah. Unless there's something that would give you. And I was like, do I need to get tested for GBS? And like, I don't, yeah, they didn't really, they don't have protocol for that. Yeah. And I actually was going to touch back on that because you said that you know, in the beginning, when you first started in this, even in home birth, you were concerned about GBS. A lot of things it sounds like have changed. So what are some of the things that have changed from those first home births to now with how you approach things? Just more reading and more research and looking at numbers and safety. I I do just base decisions on that. And I know people get really upset. Just the other day I shared in my stories, a friend of mine, she broke down how the stats on getting induced when you're past your due date. And I had people DM me, well, this happened to my friend and this happened to like, for them, that is, I mean, obviously so heartbreaking, so sad, but it doesn't change that the numbers are still safer for you to not get induced for that one person. It would have been, but you can't see that going in. And so if you just look at, okay, the risks I know now I've studied so much now on antibiotics and I know what it does to your gut health. And I've seen the repercussions of children that have been exposed to them, like in my own family, like this, this child has been exposed to antibiotics. This one's never been touched by antibiotics in their entire life. And they're just their wellness. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that I know there's a risk of that. It's not just like, well, let's do it in case I don't take that lightly. And so knowing that is what has helped me too. And also I'm a lot more confident too, in things like garlic. I was literally eating a garlic clove about an hour before I had him, because I know how much it works. I've seen it work. I've seen me test positive for GBS. And then not two weeks later after doing certain protocols guided by my midwife. Yep. And so I just kind of treated myself as if I did have it and I knew what I would do if I did. And so I just did all those things. The whole last four weeks, I took so many probiotic pills. I ate raw garlic. I did apple cider vinegar, coconut oil. I have vitamin C. I had this whole protocol. And so I did what I would have done if it had been positive. So Mm -hmm. 
Yep. That's a great way to, to treat it. Um, and it kind of makes me just think about motherhood in general and when moms are maybe used to uh, being kind of in the medical, the traditional mainstream medical system. And then sometimes home birth is the thing that exposes them to this more alternative style of care. And it can be really hard to make that jump because it feels like, ooh, like, but what if something goes wrong? What if I don't have what I need to take care of my child? And some sometimes it really does boil down to trusting yourself that you can manage these things, trusting that you can take care of them. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, when it comes to treating something without antibiotics, well, trusting that you are their mother and that you can take care of them and you can research all of the things that, that all of your options and feel confident in what you're doing. Sometimes the first time that a child gets sick, it's really scary and hard. And then you realize, oh, oh, I am their mom. And oh, I got through that with them wonderfully. And I can trust myself in that. Yeah. You can build up some confidence. And then, you know, I have to do a lot of research into, does this actually help? I mean, do these herbs, does this thing, I need to see like actual data on it and it's out there. And I know moms feel like, okay, you have to have a certain degree in order to figure this out, but you don't, if you know how to read the the data (laughs) nowadays is out there. And then I have, I have friends and family friends who also do research on this and they've read, you know, old books on it and it, yeah, it's, it's out there and it's not a one size fits all thing. And I realized that I think sometimes we choose what we, people get really into what they think is the safer option when data suggests something else. And that's where the controversy comes in. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So obviously things change. We you yes. took care of GBS. <laughs> you took care of GBS on your own, um, whether you had it or not. You just took care of your body in a way that was supportive. And what what else kind of went on towards the end of the pregnancy and into labor? Oh, I'm trying to think. That's always my main thing is like making sure I don't have GBS. Is yeah. Other than that, I mean, it just I was just going about my normal life. That's how I approach labor too. I just pretend like I'm actually not in labor for a really long time until (laughs) I can't anymore. (laughs) Yeah, that's, I'm trying to think if I did anything else. I really didn't. I kept drinking my raw milk, um, eating my normal diet. Okay. And then what, what were the, the kind of flags that, oh, okay. Labor is beginning, or maybe this is labor for you. Well, okay. So I never have real contractions until the baby is coming out in 48 hours or less. I know some moms do, they have contractions here and there well before they actually go into full-blown labor. I don't, Mm -hmm. um, seven kids. And if there's a real contraction, like the kind that wraps around your whole body, you know what it feels like then that not a Braxton Hicks, but real contractions. I have lots of Braxton Hicks, but real contractions then I know the baby's coming. So the night before I had him overnight, I woke up to a couple just sporadic contractions by morning. There was nothing more. It was just like overnight. I had a couple contractions. I told my husband, I was like, so I woke up to a couple contractions. Like, well, that means we're having the baby day. I'm like, well, but they're gone. He's like, you say that every time. 
<laughs> but they're gone. So that means that I'm not having the baby days. Like when has that been the case? Every single I know time. this song and dance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he kind of thought it, but then, I mean, I did not have any more contractions until about two in the afternoon that day. So they truly did just shut off, but that, that is what happens to me just about every time I get a couple warning ones and then it takes a while before it becomes the real thing. Okay. Interesting. So that happened overnight. You woke up, they stop until two ish. And then what happened around two? Two, they started coming on regularly. I had some videos I needed to shoot for my channel and for my blog and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I was basically ignoring them. I was shooting a, a cottage reveal out. We have a cottage on our property. And so I was doing decorating and we were hanging up uh, a mirror and art and all this stuff. And I didn't tell Luke at all. I just, I was having them, but just, I didn't say anything. And then he took my daughters to gymnastics. Actually, he took all the kids. I told him I need to finish up the video because I was starting to think this might be my last chance. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get the video finished actually at all. I had to finish it when he was like two weeks old, but he took them all into town around four for gymnastics, he, but he brought all the kids with him and they kept coming and they're starting to get to the point where I actually had to like sit down between them. I was stuffing the fireplace with wood. I have a video of me like grabbing firewood and I'm like, I was having contractions. I remember that. <laughs> and then when he came home, he kept him out for a little bit around 530 or so. I told him, I'm like, I've been still having contractions. He's like, still, you wouldn't said anything to me since like nine this morning and that they stopped. I'm like, well, I guess they started up again around two. And so around six, I thought I should start timing them. Cause I really, I hadn't timed them or anything. I was just kind of like, they're happening, but I'm not going to pay any attention to them because it's definitely not it yet. But around 6 PM, I noticed that they were five minutes apart. So it's like, well, that's more than they ever got. They'd ever got that close with my six. <laughs> Well, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, they didn't. They just, they stayed 10 minutes apart. I don't even know how I had him. Maybe they got closer at the very end, but all of labor was 10 minutes apart. So I texted my midwife and I was like, Hey, I might be calling you later. I don't know for sure, which is so denial because five minutes apart, <laughs> I know what that means. <laughs> Labor's weird though. It's the thought it of labor. I like pretending like I'm not in labor. I think it actually helps me to not get worked up about anything. Mm -hmm. That's why I like home birth because I don't have to make a big deal. Like all of a sudden we're going to the hospital. We're in the car. This is it. It's just like, well, you know, I, I might possibly be in labor. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Could have a baby today, like perhaps. Yeah. I definitely still didn't think today. I don't really know why, but I didn't. And then he, I guess I just kept doing stuff. Like I put the boys to bed. I did the dishes and then he got back with the girls from gymnastics around 8:15. And at that point, is that when I called them? Yeah. That's when I called the midwife and I was like, definitely need to get over here pretty ish soon. Actually, no, I still didn't tell her. Definitely. I was like, Hey, just, I think because of my history, I think you probably should come, but I'm not totally sure. And so she said, well, then why don't we just if you have like a couch or something we could sleep on, if it slows down, I'm like, that's a good idea. Yeah. You can just come here and take a nap. That'll be good. <laughs> so I got in the bathtub because I've heard so many good stories about water birth and you know, how much the bath eases contractions. 
but I think that people mean actual birth pool. I've never done a birth pool. Mm -hmm. And so when I got in the contractions I had in there were like a complete no-go because I could not relax properly. Mm -hmm. So I quickly got back to my bed so I could get into my Bradley position. I'm really into the Bradley method. I can like get myself in this certain position where I'm really, really relaxed. And at a certain point in labor, I don't want to get up again because I can actually like ride the contractions out really well. That happened around, I would say 830 that I was put where I needed to be in bed in order to relax through them. And then I think it was around 840 that I was like, oh, I never did the whole shower curtain on the bed thing and might be time for that. So I did the shower curtain on the bed and then my water broke within minutes of that. Oh, wow. So you had very, very quick. I was like, good thing I did that. (laughs) That's very interesting. So can you describe your, um, or best as you can, can you describe the position that you get into that that's very relaxing for you? So it's in the Bradley method book. If you're interested, I read the book every time I'm pregnant, pretty much the natural childbirth, the Bradley way and Mm -hmm. one arms up like this. Sorry. I'm kind of there, baby. You're good. Um, the other arms like this. Mm -hmm. So one up, one down. Yeah. It's like a side lie, but like sort of on your belly, but side Mm-hmm. You keep both knees bent, one knee up on a pillow. Uh-huh. It's very specific and it's in the book. And the reason I still do it so precisely is because I practiced it with my second and then I never wanted to change it after that. So I did it with all of my natural births because it works so well. And basically while you're pregnant, you train yourself to relax every part. So you like tense up your eyes and then let it go. And you just like train yourself to feel each muscle and let the tension go. And I'm not kidding. Contractions are painless when you do that. Mm -hmm. And there'll be a contraction where you realize you aren't relaxing perfectly and you, you feel it, you know what it feels like. So whenever I was in the bathtub, that's what I was experiencing. Like what people normally feel when they're like eight centimeters dilated, probably. Right. And I didn't like that. The bathtub for me, I, I went through transition with my first birth in the bathtub, like the actual tub, not the pool. And it was a nightmare, like thinking back on it. Uh, there were, there was like a good two years where I would not even look at my tub because I would just like get these feelings of like, Oh my God, that was terrible. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think the birth pool, you can actually get yourself more relaxed in it. So I understand why that would be so much better because if your body's relaxed, then that's when you can convince, like your brain doesn't get in that tension cycle Mm -hmm. or whatever, and you don't feel as much pain. But then also whenever I realized I had to put that sheet on the bed, I was like, Lou, come help me. Cause I need to do this fast. Like I cannot be up during a contraction mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. If I'm up during a contraction. This is not going to be good. If I get back down and I get relaxed again, it'll be completely fine. Mm-hmm. So we did it really fast. And so you then, made it between contractions. I did. I made it. I think it was coming on when I, whenever, so I wasn't perfectly relaxed mm-hmm. by time the contraction came, but that's my strategy with labor. I was still doing dishes at like 8 15 mm-hmm. because I don't lay down until I have to lay down. Right. And then once, once it gets to that point of labor where it's really that intense, I don't get up because if I do, I can't get back to my position yep. fully. Like I can get in the position, but I can't sink into the deep relaxation that I need to, in order to not experience pain. Yep. So by eight 30 ish, I would say that I was in that complete maybe 840, whatever, um, relaxation during contractions. And after I called my midwife though, this is actually before the water broke. So it might be a little bit off on how everything went, but I was laying there 
And I was like, I have not had a contraction for probably like seven to 10 minutes. I wasn't timing them, but I was like, I don't think I've had one for a while. Of course I call the midwife and then this stops <laughs> and then the water broke. And then, you know, it, it was clear that it was actually perfectly timing. So she came, um, the other one didn't come till more like 10, mm-hmm. but I had him at like 10 three or something like that. Oh yeah. So it was like last second. Yeah. Yeah. I texted my sister whenever the water broke and I, I told her my water broke and she's never been to any of my births because I like to labor very privately. Even mm-hmm. my sister who I'm so close with, I've been to her births. She considers me her doula. I'm really not, but she just thinks that I help when I'm there. And I just don't even want my husband there. I'm not kidding. I want nobody. I want to lay there completely by myself, doing my little relaxation thing. But once the water broke, I told her, you can go ahead and come if you want, because it's definitely happening any minute now. And so you might as well, if you really, and she was so excited to come to see a birth because she's never seen any of my births. And she walked in the door and my midwife walked in the door uh, all around like probably like 945-ish. And I waved and I was like, oh, hey, Laura. This is how she recalls it. You were like, hey, Laura. And then I need to push. (laughs) She was so angry at me because her baby's, she had to push for two hours, even, you know, she was at a birthing center. She, she had a definitely more difficult time than I did. Oh, yeah. And that's, that, it, that brings up the point that, yeah, labors are so different, not just from person to person, because obviously that's true, but also labor to labor. But the fact that you're saying, you know, you know yourself, you know, that you want to be totally alone. You don't want anyone around. I think that's really important for people to hear and know that that's okay, <laughs> that you feel that yeah. way, that that's a totally reasonable feeling when we think about, and I'm pretty sure it's in one of Bradley's books that he talks about how cats aren't going to walk out in the middle of lunch hour and, you know, give birth in front of everybody. That's one of my favorite examples. It's like, no, we go to a quiet, calm place typically at night in the dark and we find a place that we can relax. You don't need to expect that you can have like a massive crowd around you that, that may not be a reasonable expectation. It might be. I mean, it's definitely great for some people. My sister, she wants her mom, my mom, her mother-in-law, me, Mm -hmm. husband, obviously she wants everybody there. Like you need to be Mm -hmm. there. That's how she feels supported and comfortable. Other than that, she feels, I don't know, she would not want that to happen. Right. I'm the complete opposite. I'm like, I will call you all when the baby is here. And that is what I do. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's, and I just think it's so important for whichever way you are, that's fine. Just, just know what you are and don't feel bad for which, you know, whichever way it is, do what, do what you need to have done. Right. Yeah. Cause people ask me with, with uh, the homers what do you guys do about the kids? I'm like, well, sometimes they're asleep, but with Daniel, it was 9 a.m. and we didn't do anything with the kids. I just called Luke up whenever I was time to push (laughs) (laughs) because I didn't, I really don't want all the, I think it's part of the psychological thing of, I like to convince myself, this is all fine. There's (laughs) nothing to see here. (laughs) We're good. Yep. So, okay. So usually the kids are, have you ever had any children present or do they just come in after or the next morning? Yeah, I haven't. And I, I know, I don't know why I don't, I don't prefer that, but my kids this time, well, both times, um, the last two, 
they can't, they come in right after actually all of them, they come in right after, but the last two, they were actually here. Whenever we lived in the same town as his parents, his mom took the kids with mm-hmm. the ones before that, the home births before that. But this time it was, I think it was around 10 30 that we brought the kids down. We woke up the oldest three mm-hmm. and had them come down and meet the baby and all that. But the other, we left the babies asleep. Right. Okay. So you're, your sister gets there, the midwife gets there. You feel like you need to push. Yeah. Well, I look up, they hadn't done anything yet. Like check mm-hmm. the heart rate, nothing. I don't even think they did blood pressure or anything yet. And I look up and I was like, I think I need to push already. And they're like, what? <laughs> Sorry. Maybe I'm wrong, but I probably not. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. I think I'd be the one to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I pushed twice and he was born. It was really that straightforward. Wow. So they got there and then, oh, was that the second midwife that came in when your sister came in? Yes. Yes. Right. The other one made it faster. She kind of was getting her stuff out and maybe thinking about starting to do some of the checks and all that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what position were you still in the same position when you pushed or do you switch positions? I, I did hands and knees this time. I've done different things. I don't really know why I did that, but that's Mm -hmm. what I did. Yeah. I just got from my side lie relaxing position to hands and knees and probably push too fast. I was listening to somebody else's birth story and they were saying the one thing is do not push. Don't push. If you push, that's just going to force the baby out too fast. And you're going to ruin your pelvic floor. And I was like, oh, well then I am ruined. Well, I'm done. Because <laughs> I pushed all of my kids out with force. Yeah. Like, it's done. We're done here. And I push them out, but I don't tear, but I mean, still, I guess that's probably not good, but I do it anyway. Well, I, I think that there's, uh, I think you've got to listen to your body. I don't know. I, I have a hard time with the idea of like, oh no, everybody has to not push the exact same way. Just like any other part of labor. Yeah. Like, when would you do that? Like, no, you have to labor this exact way. No, she I said that. Yeah. She said with hers, she said, you don't push. She said, I even one time got an all natural birth. She said, I got to a 10 and I even took a nap. And I was like, well, then your labors and mine are different. <laughs> we can that was something you were able to do then Cause if that was the case, I wouldn't have had a child in the van. Right. I just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, I mean, that, th- that reflex, like, and you know, fetal ejection reflex, people experience it in different ways, but there, gosh, I cannot imagine with my first birth, I, there was no way that I could stop myself. I was pushing, but I wasn't in control of it. It was my body like yeah. forcing me to push. So I don't know. I mean, I yeah. think so. it she had out. a lot of kids and she was saying it was actually somebody who recently did a live home birth and she was, oh, cool. she was doing this whole thing about don't push. And I was like, Oh, well then I'm ruined. <laughs> I, I'm wrecked. <laughs> yeah. I'm wrecked. I'm gonna have problems later. <laughs> so, okay. Well then I would love to hear after, after he arrives, what, what was that like? How, how did you feel? I mean, I felt great that that labor was what I would call, I dare to say, like your uh, home birth queen guest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually happened to listen to hers that same day. Oh, cool. So I was using her. Uh, what was it? I, I had it written down in my notes. She had something she kept saying, oh, power and pressure, not pain. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Okay. So I kept saying that because that is exactly what it was. It was insanely powerful, obviously, because a child was born, but I would describe that as my first birth that wasn't painful. Wow. So yeah, I felt great. The midwives probably stayed another two hours checking everything, delivering the placenta, all that good stuff. And then I was just in bed with him and one of my, my third, no, not third, my fifth child, he comes down in the middle of the night and he got in bed with me and he looked over and he was like, Oh baby. I was like, yeah. Cause when I put him to bed, I was pregnant, obviously. Right. But yeah. I was on the birth high. I was not going to sleep for probably the rest of that night. I just mm-hmm. kept my lamp on and just stared at him, but it was so fast and unexpected because I've never not made it to 40 weeks except my one induction. I've never had a child not go past 40 weeks. And so to, I had him two days early, okay. which was just so early to me. I was, mm-hmm. I could not believe I had that child that early. <laughs> so, and then he was good size too. He was eight, 10. Mm. And so I was very surprised by that when they weighed him because they kept telling me he's a good size. I'm like, but he was born early. So there's no way. Right. (laughs) Nope. He's a good size. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's amazing. I had a question that I was thinking of as you were saying this, but it's left my mind. Oh man. happens. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's pretty common for me. Um, well, what have you done this postpartum how oh actually no I just remembered what it was it was you said that this was your first birth that you felt like it there it wasn't pain what do you think like what do you attribute that to was it just a mindset shift or was there something different yeah I would say it was with all of my births except my firstborn all other six I would say everything up until transition was also painless Mm -hmm. With the Bradley method, I was able to relax myself and feel extreme power, but not pain with him. I got to the point in transition where I was like, okay, this is the part where I can't relax. I'm going to jump off this bed. It's going to, these contractions are going to literally pull me off of this bed. I cannot lay here and relax anymore. And I think up until him, I convinced myself that was just the only way. And as I was getting that moment of like panic. I said, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to relax. I'm going to make myself relax. Dang it. Mm-hmm. And so I just kept doing the same thing. And it was like self-talk relax. Yeah. And I, I think that was it. I just was able to continue to relax through transition. And before I wasn't able to convince myself that it was even possible. It probably mm-hmm. was listening to her, the, uh, Talisa or what's her name? Talise. Oh, Talise. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because up until then, I'm like, you can't relax through transition. It's not a thing. It's not possible. I know people do it, but it's not. Yeah. And then I, I feel like I just yelled at myself. No, <laughs> we're going to keep relaxing. You've done it this whole relax, time. Lisa. Yeah. <laughs> and I tried it. I was like, okay, actually, I think I can, mm. I can relax through this. And then I was pushing and I was like, oh my gosh, that really was transition. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That I'm sure that was like a very, just kind of surprising to, to be able to do that. It really was because it's, 
transitions a very, very intense moment. And, mm-hmm. and for some people, it's not a moment, it's right. hours. See, for me, it's very short and it was with all of my kids. So I can't imagine the moms who linger there. I yeah. don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Well, that's amazing to hear. And what has this postpartum season been like for you? It's been really well or really great. He's uh seven weeks now. And mm. I feel like I've always had him pretty much at this point. Oh. You know how that is. <laughs> it's so cute. Yeah. But I don't know. I just, it's really been fine. I did a week of not getting out of bed pretty mm-hmm. much for the most part. And then took it easy the second week. And then after that, I personally just feel better when I just pretend like everything's normal again. Mm -hmm. And so I put him in my baby wrap and go on with life. (laughs) And he looks so snug in there. So, yeah. And he, he sleeps in my bed at night. I just put him on my chest and. Do you have others still in co-sleeping in bed with you guys? No. No, I, I never have a new baby with somebody still close living. I know some people do. I'm like, Oh, that'd be kind of rough. <laughs> I do have. Kids that, yeah. They come down in the, or I have one currently that comes down in the middle of the night, but mm-hmm. he's, he's either, he's usually in his bed from at least till 1am. If not, sometimes he doesn't come down at all or till like 5am. So I've got one like that. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. yeah. Usually like that. So one like that. And then one that set the five-year-old is suddenly coming into our room every night. So she has a pallet on the floor because we cannot have every single person in our house in our bed. (laughs) No, that's, it's too kind. But yeah, I, I love, oh man, I love having him in bed with me Mm -hmm. just on my chest and we just nurse on demand. And I don't know, with my first, I really stressed myself out trying to do everything by the book. Mm -hmm. And again, just like with birth, I gained my confidence somewhere around the second child, a little bit more with the third. And now I'm able to really know how fast the season goes. Cause it, there's certain parts about it that are hard and life-changing, but it's, it's, it's easy for me to not get hung up on it because I know it's just ridiculously fast. I, I love the newborn phase. I know Mm -hmm. not everybody does, but I truly love it. I do too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really special. It's so fast. If you think it's hard, it's fine. Cause it's so fast. Don't worry. <laughs> I don't even know if I can call him a newborn anymore. He doesn't even look like one. He's already over 12 pounds. Jeez. Why, why did they do that? I know it's horrible. <laughs> oh. Well, Lisa, as we wrap up, I'd love to hear if you've got any last thoughts of maybe moms who are considering giving birth at home, what would you say? What, what recommendations would you give? Definitely listen to positive birth stories, which is easy to do because you, have you already hear podcast on <laughs> Yep, <laughs> that I even, you know, I've had seven babies, six before, obviously I had him and the last two weeks of my pregnancy, I, I love po- podcasts. I listen to podcasts all the time. The last two weeks of my pregnancy was nothing but happy home birth, because even though I've had so many, I still felt like I wanted to fill my brain with that because, you know, I hadn't experienced birth in two years and just hearing positive stories does a lot for you. Your confidence and your fear and your just anxiety about it will change how you perceive birth. Mm -hmm. It really will. So having access to, I did that with all my kids, but I didn't 
have your podcast. I don't, remember, I don't know when you started it, but I didn't know about your podcast. And so I would just search them on YouTube or whatever, but having a nice collection <laughs> is really nice. So do that, read books, read Ina May, read, I'm sure you have some recommendations too, whatever Caitlin recommends. <laughs> <laughs> I like hearing it from different people. I definitely, I've read H- Husband Coach Childbirth, but I haven't read his other book, the Bradley book. So well, it's not actually by Bradley. It's, it's by Susan McCutcheon. It's her take on it. Gotcha. That one, that's like my number one book recommendation is natural childbirth, the Bradley way. I know there's plenty of ways to do natural birth. That's just been the one that I latched onto. Actually, the reason I did is whenever I was pregnant with my second born, there was a lady at our church who had had 12 home births. Oh, wow. And she recommended it. And I was like, well, if it works for you, (laughs) what we're doing, she sat down and like, kind of talked to me about it and showed it to me. And so then that was like the only thing I would ever do after that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, read books, listen to positive birth stories, prepare yourself for all the possible outcomes, Mm -hmm. get yourself a midwife you feel comfortable with and be confident and go forth and have a great home birth. (laughs) Go forth. (laughs) Love it. Forth and birth at home. (laughs) Go forth, recreate. Oh, (laughs) Lisa, this has been such a blast. I'm, I'm so excited to be able to learn more about your previous birth stories and then get to hear this super fresh one. Um, it's been such a joy. I can't thank you enough for coming on the happy home birth podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I was really excited when you reached out. Wasn't that such an encouraging episode? I am so grateful for all that Lisa does for her community. I've personally benefited from her hard work, and now I'm so excited that you get to benefit from her very own stories. As we head into today's episode roundup, a few thoughts come to mind. Number one, relaxation is the key, and it looks different for everyone. What has helped you cope during labor? For some, it's touch. It's your spouse holding your hand. It's the encouraging words of a doula. For others, it's quiet and being alone to focus inward. So many stories are shared where there's lots of interaction. I'm glad to hear Lisa share how for her, less is more. Number two, I loved the encouragement that Lisa gave regarding labor and motherhood in general when she said, the empowering recognition that you can do it. You can do the research. You can advocate for yourself and your family. You don't need a fancy degree to dig in and understand what's going on. You can make informed decisions for your family. And finally, it doesn't matter whether it's your first or 15th birth, there's always something new to learn. Lisa spent several weeks leading up to her birth listening to positive birth stories and even gained new insight regarding transition. And during this labor, she was able to relax through the pressure something she'd never been able to do before. How amazing is that? Okay, my friends, I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode as much as I enjoyed the interview. Make sure you share your favorite takeaway with us over on Instagram, and I will see you back here next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Are you looking to extend the home birth support, encouragement, and education? Join us in our Facebook group, Happy Home Birth Podcast Community, and check us out on Instagram at Happy Home Birth Podcast.